We're in part four of our series called Strengthening the Family. Now, some of you here today, both here physically and also online, haven't yet got a family. So this is a great opportunity to take some notes. So when you do have a family, you'll have some insight from God's Word on how to raise your kids without raising your blood pressure, right? James Dobson has a book out called Parenting Isn't for Cowards. Next slide, Chris. Thanks. Parenting Isn't for Cowards. He also has another brilliant book called The Strong-Willed Child. Now, in most families, you'll have one that's strong-willed. And there's a special set of skills you need to parent a strong-willed child. Like one spanner doesn't fit all nuts, right? You need to adjust it according to the individual characteristics. So don't try using the same tool, the same approach to every one of your children. It will not work as effectively. You can use what we call a knockometer or a hammer <laughs> for a lot of things, but it's primarily designed for striking. A screwdriver is used for undoing things, right? So I would highly encourage you, those of you who have not heard of this man, Dr. James Dobson, he's eminently qualified, hugely experienced, and in my view, probably my number one go-to guy on family and marriage issues. If you haven't heard of him, suck it up. And if you have heard of him and you've forgotten about him, maybe you want to utilize some of those books to give to your children, who are in turn having their children. So remember... So there's those who are not yet parents, those who are parents today, I recommend him, and those who are grandparents, I recommend you recommend him to your kids, okay? Get it? Good. Let's move on. Here's the deal. Why do we need help being a parent? I'll tell you why, because parenting is a tough job. It's difficult, and it's very demanding. And just about the time you get some experience in this, you're out of a job, because they're gone. And that happens way too quick. One guy I knew had four theories about how to raise his kids, and he had four kids, and he's got no theories, because <laughs> he's tried quite a few of them, and they didn't seem to work so well. So where do you go for help? Who do you go to primarily when you need help and advice on parenting? You know who I go to? The one and only perfect parent that has ever been, and that's God our Father. He's a numero uno source. He's my model. Folks, there's only one parent who's ever been perfect in history. In fact, the Bible says this in Matthew 5:48: be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. There it is. He's perfect. So model of perfection. God is a model parent, and you and your children can be great parents too. And the simple secret is this: treat your kids. The way God treats you. Now, I'm going to unpack that. That sounds simple, but you may want to write that down. The simple secret is treat your kids the way God, being the perfect parent, treats you. In the first place, if I'm going to be like my heavenly father who is perfect, I must understand my children, understand them. That's the bottom line. I must understand my children. Psalm 103 verse 13 says this, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he, now look at this last part of the verse, he knows 
how we are formed. He knows and understands the way that we are formed. Circle that, knows and formed. God knows what makes you and I tick. He understands us, and therefore, he can parent us in the right way. He understands our intricacies. One common complaint I've heard kids say about their parents all the time is they just don't understand me. Now, sometimes we just blow that off and say, what do you think? How do you think you got here, kid? I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of this world. But the Bible says this. Homes, healthy homes, are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. Do not forget that. In the same way God knows us, we are to know what makes our kids tick. I have four kids. Excuse me. Let me rephrase that. We have four kids. And each one of them are highly individual. Each child has a unique bent, a unique personality, and they have different temperaments, different things that motivate them. And those of you who have had more than one child know they can be as different as night from day, even though they're all peas from the same pod, even though they're all in the same family. You can't motivate people all the same way. What would motivate Helen would not even touch Stephen, and what would motivate Stephen would leave Helen cold. They don't also, I've also noticed, have the same strengths. Neither do they have all the same weaknesses or talents or abilities. And we shouldn't try, here's the deal, we shouldn't try and mold them all into our mold because every single one of them is different. You, as an individual, are one of billions and we're all unique. God doesn't make copies. Remember that. When we're ch uh, parenting our children, we seem to think sometimes they're all the same. They are not all the same. Proverbs 22.6 has bearing on this. And it's one of the probably the most misunderstood verses in the, in, in the Bible. One of them. There's a list of them. And it says this. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. Now, a couple of things. Bit of a sidebar here. When you're reading Proverbs, they are exactly that, Proverbs. They are probabilities. They are not absolute truths. Do you understand that? Proverbs are probabilities. They are not, and all theologians understand that. Sometimes we get confused. We pick verses willy-nilly out of Proverbs. I'm taking that. Well, actually, that is a probability. It is not an absolute ironclad guarantee. And that particular one, people unfortunately take that as an absolute with God's personal guarantee attached. That would be a mistake. Again, Proverbs are not promises. Most people understand that verse as a verse with God's personal guarantee attached. Please don't do that, because that's not what he's saying. Most people think like this. Well, when my kid's little, if I send them to Sunday school and I'll teach them the Bible... I'll even get him to memorize some scriptures. And then you make sure he comes to know the Lord, he's even baptized, and maybe even send him to a Christian school, to boot, right? And when he gets a little older, into his teenage years, something strange starts to happen. Maybe he'll rebel a bit, or go the wrong way and do his own thing. But you hang your hat in this verse. But later on, maybe even on his deathbed, maybe a lot later on, he's going to remember what he was taught in Sunday school, and his last dying gasp, he's going to repent. I wish that was true. God wishes it was true. 
but people have something called free will. See, many young people, thankfully, well, not the first part, have rebelled, but thankfully have come back and returned. Thank you, Jesus, for those who do do that. But many others, here's the reality, have not. And they have preferred to pursue their own individualistic sin and basically give God the palm heel. No, thank you. I do what I want to do, and you ain't telling me what to do or how to live my life. That's the honest truth. So what does this verse mean? As I said, it is a proverb, not a promise. You need to remember that when you're reading Proverbs. Otherwise, you'll get confused. The key to understanding is the word there, way. And you can, do a, you can drill into the commentaries way down on that. The word way means style, temperament, and personality. And each child is naturally fitted by God to be built for a certain purpose and go in a certain direction. With their temperament, personality, ability, heart. Listen to the Amplified. Now, if you've ever seen me use the... Mm, okay. Yeah, that's the one. The Amplified Version. What that does is it brings out the richer Greek meaning in the words. So if you ever want to kind of get your arms around, as any of you here that speak multiple languages often know that one word often doesn't translate exactly into one other word. There's different colors and shades of meaning. Amplified says is train up a child in keeping with his individual bents, personality, ability, temperaments. In other words, it's saying you must recognize the potential in your kids. They have the ability. What abilities are? Encourage them in the direction they are naturally bent by God before they even come here. Some people have this naturalistic phenomenon that when you get a baby, it's a blank slate, blank hard drive. That is not true. Before you were even born, I knew you. Encourage them in the direction they're naturally inclined to go with their abilities. That's what this is about. In other words, if your child loves math, don't go send them to Elam, the school for arts. And if they're good at arts, don't go send them off to Auckland Engineering. And to, oh, I was an engineer, therefore you should be an engineer. That's a mistake because we're all individuals. The Bible says we need to understand, that's our point, our kids. Woodworkers work with the grain, not against the grain. So you need to understand their natural temperaments, abilities. If they're shy, yes, encourage them. I know what you're saying. Encourage them to be more outgoing. But you'll never make them boisterous because that's not the way God made them. If they're boisterous, sure. I was always told, pipe down. <laughs> but my scout leader, shh, shh. In fact, it was so bad. In the, in the primary school classroom, I asked so many questions. <laughs> I can't believe that. This is, this is probably you get abuse for this these days. The teacher literally picked up my desk and stuck me in the middle of the field. <laughs> I said, do this, and I'll come back and get you at the end of the period. <laughs> There's something in the way that God makes you. What's a proof of understanding? Proverbs 14, 29. A man of understanding has patience. You don't have understanding, you're going to get very impatient with your kids. Now, I'm going to nuance that a little later on. You have to be patient with bad behavior, but in terms of the way the child is, there's a big difference here. Number two. So, by the way, the proof that you understand your child is you're patient. Number two, I must accept my children. Accept them. Why? Well, because God accepts you just the way you are. That's grace. 
But see, I've noticed that parents all around the world, doesn't matter which country you're in, have a tendency to reject their kids when they don't look like the way they want them to look. I remember one day one of my sons came home, and I could hardly even recognize him. It looked like he stuck his head in a bottle of bleach. <laughs> it was like iridescent yellow and go, what? We reject our kids when they don't dress the way we want them to. When they don't meet our standards as if we are the standard. We are not. He is. And God says, accept your children as a gift from him. They are sovereignly custom built. And God's built those children and designed them to put them in your family. My question to you is, have you accepted that gift? Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. You need to accept your kids as a gift from all God Almighty and not try to make them like little use. Little use. So in other words, I'm saying you need to identify and affirm their uniqueness. As parents, I've noticed that we often try to send out signals that say, Basically this, you need to be just like me. You need to be interested in the things that I was interested in or am interested in. Or you need to do as good at school as what I did when I was at school. Or even worse, you need to do better than what I did. Or you need to be as athletic as I was. And we impose it on our children. And what that's actually saying is there's a lack of recognition and appreciation for the way that God made your child. You need to be a student of your child. A child isn't a lump of clay to be molded. It's a flower to be unfolded. And as a, and as a parent, you need to be the number one student of your child. You spend most of the time with them. That's your responsibility. See, subtly... What that is saying to a child is, if I want to be accepted by mummy and daddy, I can't be myself. And by the way, a bit of clarification here. I'm not talking about morals. I'm talking about personality, styles, and temperaments. That's clear, right? I'm not talking about that. The only way to get accepted in this household is I've got to be like my parents in order to be accepted, and that is tragic. That's not God's plan. If I'm going to be like my heavenly father, number one, I need to understand my children. And you just spend time understanding them. Don't just blow them all off. They look, you know, they've got eyes and hair and, you know, body parts. Well, that's fine. But you need to go far deeper than that. X, and number two, we need to accept my children. Number three, I must discipline my children. Because that's what your Heavenly Father does to you and I. Discipline them. Like my perfect Heavenly Father, if I love my kids, I must discipline them. Hebrews 12, 6 says this. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And it's a sign of God's love when you're disciplined. Now the Bible says if I do not discipline myself, uh, my children, two things are true. Number one, it proves I don't really love my kids. Sometimes I get it. I get it. You can't, you don't have any energy to follow through consistently. So if you don't discipline my kids, uh, your kids, it says, one, I don't, I don't really love my kids, because Proverbs 13, 24 says, if you refuse to discipline your son, it proves you don't love him. 
So you don't love them, you don't discipline them. You discipline them, you love them. If I let them get away with anything and everything, it shows I really don't care enough about them. And by the way, sidebar. If you have children at home, there's a time, and most of the time is, you need to act as a parent. You don't need to act like you need to be accepted by them. You are there to be their parent, not to be their friend. There'll come a time later on, after they've gone through the training period, where they do become your friend. But this time is not the time to be the friend. You have to do the right thing, which includes disciplining them. Number two, if you don't discipline, it shows them I'm participating in their destruction. I'm going to participate. Who wants to do that? Well, if you don't, discipline them. Discipline them. Proverbs 19.18, from the good news. Discipline your children whilst they are young enough to learn. If you don't, you are helping them destroy themselves. Who wants to help their kids destroy themselves? Nobody. Well, if you don't want to destroy them, discipline them. Now, big differentiator here. There's a big difference between discipline and punishment. I'm going to try and split this one out. God, listen carefully, does not punish his children. He does discipline them. All the punishment for God's children was taken by one person on the cross. He was punished for our sins, chastised for our iniquities. That was done there. So why would then God punish Jesus Christ and then let, and let him take all the punishment for our sins on the cross and then come back and say, yeah, yeah, I know I did that, but you've got to take the punishment too. He doesn't do that. That's called, in legal terminology, double jeopardy. So all the punishment for every wrong you will do and your kids will do if they accept Christ has already been taken care of on the cross. That's what the Bible says here. There is no condemnation, no punishment for those who are in Christ. Now, do you realize the difference between discipline and punishment? What's the difference? It's this. The purpose of punishment is to inflict penalty. That was done by God on Jesus. I, and we can do that, I want to penalize you for what you've done wrong. And that's looking backwards. That's to do with backwards. What's happened in the past. The purpose, on the other hand, of discipline is completely different. It's to promote growth. I want to correct you and train you and make you a better person. The focus of, again, punishment is past. The focus of discipline is future, what you're becoming. The attitude of the parent in punishment is often anger. And we can easily punish out of anger. I'm angry at you. And the, but on the other hand, the motivation of discipline is love. And it's saying, I want you to make it in this world. And the Bible says that God punishes the wicked that reject him. He does say that. That's clear. But he disciplines his own children. Big difference. So what's the result? Here's the result. Punishment always involves fear and guilt and more anger. Discipline, there's security in that. I feel secure because I know the parameters, I know the boundaries in my life. 
How can you know when you're punishing? And how can you know when you're disciplining? What's the, you know, how do you do that? Well, you look at the child's reaction. You ask yourself, is this kid terrified of me right now? How do I say that? Look at this next verse. 1 John 4, 8. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with what? Fear has to do with right. We, didn't, we don't fear our Father, our Heavenly Father. That's why Christians don't have to be afraid because He doesn't punish. He disciplines. We don't fear God. We love God. He disciplines us for our own good, not to punish us in anger. Big difference. So what I'm talking about here is one of the reasons why kids grow up in Christian homes and then they reject their parents' faith. There's many reasons for that. I was just reading an article because it's a topical conversation right now right across Christendom. Some of them were disciplined not in love, but they were punished in anger. And as a result, they outwardly conform whilst they're in the home. Let me say that again. They outwardly conform whilst they're in the home. But inwardly, they're full of resentment and anger and bitterness and one day, it'll either explode or just walk away from their faith. So we are called, though, to discipline our children the way God disciplines us, not the way we would normally naturally in our carnal nature would just lash out with tongue or in anger. See, if you or I got what we deserved, none of us would even be here. But God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. So how do you discipline? Again, I'm going to draw this part from Dr. James Dobson. In his, he has another book called, here it is, Dare to Discipline. For those of you who want to look at a very practical guide, James Dobson is a no-nonsense practical guide. Three words that describe the biblical discipline, three characteristics. Now, this isn't all, it's not exhaustive, it's just exemplary. God says if you're going to discipline your kids, number one, do it calmly. Calmly. Not just to relieve your frustration. You know, oh, I'll give you what I... And actually, at the end of it, typically you'll feel better and the kid sure as heck doesn't. <laughs> How many times have you been punished? Have kids been punished? Not because they were being disciplined, but it was they were getting whooped because the parents were relieving frustration. And God says, don't do that. Do not discipline in anger like that or get angry. Proverbs 29, 11 says this, a fool gives full vent, full vent, un ungoverned. He gives full vent to his anger. So in other words, it's foolish, the Bible says there, to discipline your kids in anger. Actually, you're only hurting yourself and you're hurting them in the long run. Ephesians 6, 4 has a similar theme related to this. It says, don't keep scolding and nagging your children. Making them what? Angry and resentful. Use loving discipline. That's the counsel of God's word to all of us. Do you like being nagged? I could ask some people here, but I'll refrain from that. <laughs> I found that nagging doesn't work, right? And your kids won't like it any more than you like it. So don't do it. Stop it. Don't nag your kids. And don't confuse training with nagging. Think, well, if I'm nag, 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 I'm actually training them. That's nothing like it. Number two, if you're going to discipline, discipline quickly. Don't delay it. You know, don't use a typical line which I've heard from so many kids or from 
mums especially, they say, well, just you wait till your father comes home. (laughs) Wait till your father comes home. See, the deal here is this. Discipline needs to be shared. One guy is not the ogre, and the other one's the, I don't know, cuddle bunny. It, It needs to be shared. No one person should be playing the disciplinarian all the time. Share it between husband and wives. That's a good negotiation to have, you guys. Here it is. If you love your children, you will correct them. If you don't love them, you won't correct them. That's the CEV vision. Three, use discipline sparingly. Sparingly. Not all the time. You get more effect if you choose your times carefully. Colossians 3.21, fathers, don't scold your children so much, that's what I'm getting at here, so much that they become discouraged and just quit. Number four, I must express my love to my children. You can be intentional about that, because you know why? Most of us get up at 5 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock and we're out the door. We work like dogs all day. Been there, done that. Still do that. (laughs) Then you come home and you've got children. And you probably haven't got enough emotional wit left to have patience. And therefore, when they say something, the first thing I'm doing is correcting rather than expressing my love. What I used to do when you come home from a busy executive role, I'd sometimes stop my car literally outside the road, gather my thoughts, put all the other took, all the other business problems to one side and say, I'm home now. I need to be present here with my wife. I want to look her in the eye and then I say, kiss her passionately, not just perfunctorily, and then look at each of my kids in the eyes because it's so easy to come in with your backpack still on, right? And you get down, hi, how's it going? Get a cup of sit down, and you're still thinking after a while, or your mind goes back to work. See, most people get into problems because uh, when they're at home, they're thinking about work. And sometimes when they're at home, some people think a lot about home. <laughs> they get it back to front. So this is an important one. Express love to my children. The Bible is full of examples, practical steps of God's love for you and me. The Father's love for his children. Three ways I'm going to give you practically that you can express. I didn't have somebody to teach me this. My dad wasn't there. He was out of my life for nearly a decade. I never said one word to him. Neither did he say anything to me. Three ways that your kids understand love. Some people, by the way, think love is buying them a $200 pair of sneakers. That's not love. Here's what love is. Number one, you express love to your kids through affection. Affection. Physical contact. What does that look like? Hugs. I still hug all of my kids to this day. And it's a bit ridiculous because some of my kids are six foot three. So it is absolutely ridiculously embarrassing. But I still do. Because he still needs to know I love him. Physically. Kisses. Do you kiss your daughter? I'm just being straight with you. Guys, come on. Sort it out. Hug her and kiss her. 
pats on the back, whatever it may be. If you didn't grow up in a family like that, you go, ooh, that's a bit weird. You can learn it. I'm telling you what, your kids will love you for it. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord has compassion on all he has made. That's how our Heavenly Father is, and he's a perfect father. So how does that compassion get shown? He, he's very affectionate towards us. Actually, this is a bit shocking. Studies have shown that fathers are one-sixth as physically affectionate towards their kids as mothers. One-sixth. Fathers, hug your kids. Show them affection. Show them you care. Sometime today even, if you can, and they're in the same country, go give them a hug. I hug and kiss my daughter-in-laws too. They love it. <laughs> Second way that your child knows affection is through affirmation. Affirmation. The way we talk to our children. Affirmation. The Bible says the Lord upholds and uplifts those who are down. One day you're going to come and you go, something's not right here. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's saying anything, but it smells a bit funky. You can sort of tell the atmosphere is not so good. You need to go towards that. Don't back away from it. The Lord uplifts and upholds those who are down. We shape our kids by the way that we talk to them all the time. Now here's a question to you. As a parent, and before you become a parent, and even after you're a parent, as a grandparent, do you talk down to your kids? Or do you, the little ones, we've got some little tykes at the moment, and rather than talk to them, I try to talk to them as best as I can like little people. Talk to them as little people. Get in their level, eyeball to eyeball. So you engage their hearts, and you'll start to see them do that um, regularly. You'll start to see them open up. Affirm them. Because everything in this world is going to try and tear them down. You won't be accepted unless you look like this. Unless you've got muscles like this. Or other body parts like this and that. Or you dress like this. Or you wear this. Or you drive that. Or you hang out with these people. Or you've got so many likes on Facebook or Instagram. That's what the world will do. And it will tear, 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 tear down at them. What are you doing to help build them up? Tell them that you're on this, we're on the same team. Encourage them. Because the world sure as heck won't. Now, one of the things, I've done many things wrong in my family. But one of the things, I have empirical evidence, because my kids have written to me now, they're that old, they write to me. <laughs> if they want to express something deep and meaningful which is precious. One of the things I have attempted to teach my kids is it's okay to fail if you've given it your best shot. I wanted our four kids, whoever they were, whatever they did, to attempt with full gusto and to take risks in life. And holy smokes, now, I sometimes wish I hadn't encouraged them that hard <laughs> because some of the risks they take make my hair curl. <laughs> I wanted them to go for it, knowing that dad would be behind them and mum. I wanted them to try new things. 
not to play it safe all the time. And you can only do that if you feel confident and affirmed in your love from your parents. In order to teach people to do that, to try new things, you've got to teach them not to fear, this inverted quote, failure. Fear paralyzes. Love energizes. So my kids have left home knowing that I'm, Kim and I are cheering for them and we're constantly affirming what they do. Even sometimes I've had to encourage them to fail fast. Because someone was going south, not even they try such seeds. So let me be clear. But when it does, dad's there to affirm them, fail fast. <laughs> and then I also, number three, I express love to my children through attention. Through att focused attention. And this is probably the number one way that kids sense that they are loved. Quick diagnostic question. When was the last time you got down and sat eyeball to eyeball, not on the run, and said, if I had to do it all again, I'd choose you? Psalm 145, 18. Our Heavenly Father is near to us. He's not distant. And God wants you to be near to your children, not distant, not absent when we call on him. Today we have so many absentee fathers. They're never around. I was reading this week of Cornell University doing a study, and they did this by attaching a microphone, a little one, to kids and monitor the kids for weeks. And they found that the average father spends, on average, per day, on a daily basis, 37.7 seconds talking to his children. Please do not be like that. And then expect a good outcome. That's insanity. We reap what we sow. You sow into that, you'll reap something back. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you do this, all your kids will become Christians. I am not saying that. But I am saying you do this, you'll, you will maintain a good relationship with them. Thirty-seven point seven seconds a day. Are you in nuts? Compare that to three plus hours of media and all that they do per day. Where are they getting their values? Why would you expect them to get them from God or you if you don't spend the time with them? Where are your quids? Here's a really deep question. Very simple to ask. Where are your kids learning about God? Oh, I will spend four hours a week in guitar or piano or swimming or tennis or rugby, investing lots of money in that too, and lots of time. I'm there for every game. That's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. I was there for every game. But don't forget the most important, otherwise somebody switched the price tags the world has. They said, if you do good at this and academics, you're a success. But forget this. Think about the balance here. Grandparents, work on that one. Encourage where you can. Be sensitive, but encourage. When they're at your place, if you have no control of it, when they're at your place, you can have some input. There's one big point which has changed in the last 20 years. Listen up, Harry. Here it is. People are not spending time with each other. 
There's no time together for families. We're living separate lives going in a gazillion different directions. Here's an article in the paper. I can't believe this, in a secular paper. Whatever happened to the traditional family meal, families who live together can still dine together. Whoa. I know families who have it, they never have a full family meal together. See, the traditional family food, I noticed this in California 20 years ago. I had some friends who dined out five nights a week. You cannot have a proper conversation in a restaurant. Forget it. It's not going to happen. Oh, it might be nice for a while, but that's not where transformation and values transfer happens. And by the way, we used to talk, just for, for the record, about the dinner hour. The dinner hour? Really? When was the last time you actually spent an hour with your family at dinner? It's more like family 20 minutes and then we rush off to the next activity, right? Now, a contra to that, to that objection, some people say, oh, well, it's quality time over quantity time. That's a phrase I hear all the time, quality. Here's what I'd say to that. That's a bunch of balderdash. Quality time is often used to cover up something called overcommitment in other areas. If you were to ask your kids, what do they want, quality time or quantity time, I guarantee you they want quantity. It's not that they want to be the center of focus. That is very bad. Your kids are not to be the focus of all of your attention. That will make them neurotic and insecure because they think the world's all about them. That's a mistake. But they do want you around. So spend time with your kids. How much time? Where possible, a lifetime. Now, here's the balance. You can give, listen carefully, you can give too much attention to your kids, and you can give too little attention to your kids. But if I'm going to be like my Heavenly Father, I'm going to give attention. I'm going to give affection. I'm going to give affirmation. And express it in ways that my child understands. Lastly, number five, I must be consistent with my children. Consistent. Psalm 145 verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Circle all. That word righteous means fair. He's fair in all of his ways. See, friends, you will be, you are, or you were, and you still can be, Teachers, if you right now have little children in your home, your home is bugged. Yeah, I literally mean bugged. Little ears are listening and little eyes are watching. They're watching how you live your life. They're listening to what you say on the telephone and when you get off the telephone. They're watching the way that you respond to your wife or your husband and how you have disagreements, and how you resolve it, or you don't. And don't think for a moment they don't figure it out. They just know something's wrong. You are teaching, my point is, by your constant example. So you need to be consistent, not inconsistent, not hypocritical, like Jacqueline Hyde. You don't come to church on a Sunday morning and singing, you know, onward Christian soldiers marching, and then on Monday, 
You're AWOL. That means absent without leave. You've got a different vocabulary. You've got different values. You've got a different stance. Live consistently before your children, the scriptures say. Proverbs 27. It's a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. How do you demonstrate honesty? You live a consistent life before your children. That's a life of integrity. And by the way, number one, you don't imply perfection. When you have children, do not imply you're perfect. Because number one, they know you aren't, and they'll label you straight away in their minds. They won't use that word necessarily, but they'll know you're not consistent. So don't imply perfection. You admit. How do you do that? How do you don't? You admit when you are wrong. And there's been many times with every single one of my children, I have had to say, I was wrong. I was flat wrong, Helen. And that's good. Because it doesn't mean that you are right all the time. You need some, here's another way to do that. Sometimes you need to say sorry. Because you made a judgment which was incomplete of all of the facts. That's maturity. See, the Bible says pride goes before destruction. And before honor is humility. You're honest when you're honest about your mistakes. My children know about my mistakes. In fact, one of them wrote to me on my 60th, which is a beautiful thing to do. He said a lot of good things, but he also one of the things he complimented me on was telling him about my mistakes. You know why I tell him about my mistakes? So he doesn't have to make the same ones. My ones were far too expensive and far too painful. I've got far too many stripes on my back that would be wrong of me as a parent to not admit. See, we always think, well, this is how to do it. This is how. I tell my kids, this is how not to do it. This is how not to do it. And this bit is far bigger, better, uh, a bigger part of the book than this bit. Pass it on to them. If you had your time to do it, and it's not some sort of philosophical thing, it's that hurt like heck. And this is the reasons. Your kids will notice that sometimes more than parents. Parents-to-be and grandparents. People are attracted and you draw them closer emotionally by being honest about your weaknesses, the things that you've struggled with. When you're telling them how good they are, you are, they think, gee, could I ever do that? And it doesn't build closeness. It actually sometimes, especially if you harp on about it, can actually increase the distance. So be clear about, I'm not saying just bleh over everything, but choose a few selected things, age appropriate, that you can share with your kids. Be honest about your mistakes, because you're not a perfect father. I'm not. You're not a perfect mother. Kimberly's not. Be honest. Number two, keep your promises. This is how you can be like your heavenly father. Keep your so 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 big caveat. I, trying to make me make a promise to my children after I realized this was like getting blood out of a stone. Will you promise? Will you promise? You've heard it, right? <laughs> no, I'm not gonna promise. Be careful about it because you promise you better deliver. Otherwise, you're not being consistent, and there's no integrity. So that, that's basically the scripture saying your yes is yes and your no is no. Then your kids know where the goal is, you know? So the Lord is faithful to all of his promises. Therefore, be careful what you promise. 
He's a perfect parent. So parents, let me say this one more time. Be careful what you promise. Get it? Good. And that's to grandparents too. You guys get all this for free. You're not even there yet, but it'll be great one day when you hear it. Dad, you promised to take me fishing. But things came up. Not a good, that's a withdrawal from that relationship. Mom, you promised. Ever been hooked by your own words? I hate that. I hate it. So I try to reduce my surface area of attack. If I say yes, I'm going to do it. If I say no, I ain't doing it. Unless some new facts are introduced that change my mind. Little minds, especially little ones, can't distinguish between maybe. See, maybe grows into an expectation. (laughs) So we have to be a little bit more careful with our words. I seem to have read that in the book that I read. Watching my tongue. Malachi 4.6, the last thing. God says, the very last verse of the Old Testament, the very last before Jesus comes, the very last thing, uppermost in God's mind, he says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers towards the children and the hearts of the children towards their fathers. No church is stronger than the families in that church. No nation is any stronger than the families in that nation. Would you bow your heads with me? Today, as we've listened to your word, Lord, I know that you've been touching parents-to-be, parents and grandparents. Help us, Lord, be resolved to do things differently and according to your word to up our game. Maybe today some of you here feel frustrated as a parent that your kid's going the wrong way and they're not going God's way. Maybe you feel like you haven't been the parent you wanted to be and you may even feel like a failure. Can I just say to you, your Heavenly Father understands because he was a perfect father and his first two children walked away from him. But the good news is he's a forgiving God. Keep praying for those children. And if you've made mistakes, just admit them to him. And he'll forgive you. Just say, God, I admit it. I haven't been the parent I ought to be or that I wanted to be. And I ask you to forgive me. Then maybe you want to ask God to help you change. Maybe you need to plan a time of reconciliation with your children or just some honest reflection on if you had your time to do again what you'd have done differently or maybe you say I hadn't done that or I ought to have done that but I want to change that some of you are going to be new parents and it's going to be a big job but it's not that complicated Just remember this simple thought. Treat my kids the way God treats me and you'll do okay. Now for those listening here and on the net, I just want to say, especially if you're kids, your parents are not perfect. You know that and they know that and God knows that. But they are God's gift to you. 
And for some reason beyond your control, God chose them to bring you into this world. So you are to honor them for that fact alone. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and father. And there's a promise with that. Maybe you need to do some forgiving too. And maybe you need to realize that you are not perfect. So don't expect them to be perfection. May God turn your heart to your parents and let your parents' hearts be turned to you. Father, thank you for your word, which is clear. Thank you that you are the perfect Father that we can look to as our model. We love you. Amen.